Today's show is sponsored by Okta, the leading independent identity solution. Okta provides best-in-class authorization so your customers and workforce can safely access what they need most right when they need it from anywhere. Organizations around the world trust Okta's identity cloud to sign in, authorize, and manage users, whether it's employees, contractors, partners, or customers. And with Okta's developer tools, you'll never have to build authentication again. Our customizable code blocks are flexible and future-proof with easy-to-use APIs and SDKs, so you can do less coding and more shipping. Okta is dedicated to building the most reliable, neutral identity platform because it means protecting more than a login. Identity is protecting people, their ideas, their work, their brilliance. It's protecting your future with confidence. Learn more at Okta.com. That's O K. Cloudcast Media presents from the massive studios in Raleigh, North Carolina. This is the Cloudcast with Aaron Delb and Brian Gracely, bringing you the best of cloud computing from around the world. Good morning, good evening, wherever you are, and welcome back to the Cloudcast. We're coming to you live from the massive Cloudcast studios here in Raleigh, North Carolina. As we approach the end of June here in the United States, um, it is hurricane season. And so we just had the first uh, tropical depression go through the United States and go through actually uh, pretty close to Raleigh earlier this week. Lots and lots of rain and um, it will probably be a busy season for us this year. Uh, for Cloud News of the Week, let's go ahead and jump right in. Uh, we're going to talk about Spotify and uh, their latest uh, release and uh, Oracle and their earnings. Uh, I'll talk a little bit about um, some streaming changes in uh, popularity and viewing habits. And finally, Linux Foundation and an interesting requirement they're going to be doing going forward for events in the fall. So with that, we're going to jump right in. Let's start with Spotify. Spotify earlier this year acquired a company called Locker Room. And the idea behind it was to get um, speed to market and more specifically into the uh, market that was pioneered by Clubhouse. And then of course, Twitter got in as well. But this idea of live conversations and live you know, events on demand as well. So Spotify bought this company, Locker Room, and then this week launched the new Spotify Green Room. So new service from them, new app, uh, but all connected to Spotify, branded like Spotify. And this is yet another uh, move forward for them as they launch into the podcast market more and more heavily to really try and achieve that that stickiness of, of Spotify everywhere, no matter what you're listening to. I haven't had a chance to check it out, uh, but certainly wish them luck with that. And with that, we'll move on to our second article. Second article here is all about Oracle. As we're maybe a little less concerned about, you know, the, the, the big revenue and, and the, you know, whether they beat or not. What was interesting to me was this nugget in there about CapEx spend and more more specifically around uh, their Oracle Cloud. So they expect to roughly double the Cloud CapEx spend in FY22. And they actually break that out. It'll be nearly $4 billion. So really, really doubling down on what it takes to... Uh, hopefully get an increased return on their cloud business. 
and really starting to invest extremely heavily uh, with the uh, expectation, of course, that their margins will expand over time and increase the growth of Oracle Cloud going forward. For our third article, this is maybe a little less emerging tech, but really wanted to talk a little bit, especially with COVID and, and coming out of COVID. A lot of folks have changed the way they're watching streaming shows. Of course, you know, Netflix uh, really invented the concept of binge watching. But now if you go back and think about it more and more, most major streaming services with the exception of Netflix are now moving to a weekly release format. So if you think about um, some of the big breakouts here recently, and you think Disney Plus like um, uh, WandaVision or um, Loki and also, of course, Mandalorian as well and Amazon Prime or, or Apple Plus with like The Boys or Ted Lasso. All of the big, big breakout streaming shows are now released on weekly instead of drop all the episodes and then try and consume them as fast as you can. So viewer habits are changing and it is a little bit of excitement building around them. And what we're actually seeing is greater stats on a week over week basis compared to just dropping the shows like they did in say, you know, 2013, 2015 timeframe with Netflix. Netflix is releasing some of their shows in weekly, but the rest of them, they are um, kind of releasing the old way as well. So they're kind of sticking to their model, at least for now. And with that, we'll move on to our last bit of cloud news this week, and this comes out from the Linux Foundation. I don't think this maybe comes as a, as a surprise, um, but but maybe also at the same time slightly controversial in the announcement of it as well. The Linux Foundation will require a COVID-19 vaccine uh, proof of, of, of full vaccination at all Linux Foundation events, at least in the fall of 2021. Now, they do say they will reevaluate this after in, in 2022 and later, but all events this fall, including uh, KubeCon and CloudNativeCon, will require proof of vaccination going forward. I think this is a very interesting development. And uh, like I said, there are many kind of on both sides uh, of this issue. Uh, But it is uh, interesting to see them make this decision. And we'll see uh, how this works out long term as we kind of return to events. You know, we have noticed that another big event, AWS reInvent, will be going in person as well. So we're starting to emerge out of the backside of these travel lockdowns that we're seeing and and folks kind of return to in-person events as well. I know for me personally, um, you know, I'm kind of a mixed about them. I really enjoyed not traveling there for a little while, but I also admit, you know, I, 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 I would like to go to a show and, and, and hell, I'd even go to Vegas uh, for a show at this point, um, which is something I certainly wouldn't have, have said back in 2019. So with that, we're going to wrap up Cloud News of the Week. And um, right after the break, uh, Brian is going to be talking to Brandon Wichard from uh, Software Defined Talk Podcast and really a mid-year cloud hot takes. And that's coming up right after the break. Today's show is sponsored by Cloud Zero. For software-driven companies focused on growing margins, 
CloudZero is the only cloud cost intelligence platform that puts engineering in control by connecting technical decisions to business results. By analyzing cloud services like AWS and Snowflake, CloudZero provides real-time cost insights that help you maximize margins. Engineering teams can answer critical questions like, who are my most expensive customers? How much does this specific feature cost our business? What's the cost impact of re-architecting this application? With cost anomaly alerts via Slack, product-specific data views, and granular engineering context that makes it easy to investigate any cost, CloudZero is your complete cloud cost intelligence platform, connecting the dots between high-level trends and individual line items. Join companies like Drift, Rabbit7, and SeatGeek by visiting cloudzero.com cloudcast to get started today. That's cloudzero.com cloudcast. And we're back. And folks, as we mentioned, it is uh, it is getting hot. It is summertime. And uh, unless you're in the southern hemisphere, it is temperatures are warming up all over the place. And so we thought, you know, it's it's mid-year. It's that time of year when we need to take a break a little bit. We uh, we kind of, you know, clear our mind. We might be sitting on a beach. We might be reading a book. We might be doing some crazy long road trip with your family and you just need a break. So we thought we would do sort of a cloud hot takes. And I thought there's nobody better to help me do that than uh Friend of the show, and uh, good to have him back on the show, Brandon Wichard, co-host of Software Defined Talk and longtime friend of the show. Brandon, welcome back. Thank you. Thank you very much uh, for having me back, and I'm prepared. I brought the hot takes for the hot summer, so let's let's do it. I'm Yeah, I'm happy to have you. I'm excited to have you back on. I'm, I was a little worried. I listened to the last couple of shows, and folks, if you don't listen to Software Defined Talk, get it on, your, uh, get it on whatever podcast player you have. Um, I wasn't sure if it was the summer was heating up and you were just had hot takes or you had a couple sort of rants lately. I didn't know if it was just sort of anger and frustration from being uh, kind of cooped up for the last year and a half. Probably both. Probably a lot of changes in the cloud, but uh, I'm fully vaccinated. We have the summer vacation plan. We're actually going to go somewhere. So hopefully that will mellow me out. But until then, it's nothing but hot takes until mid-July. All right, good. Let's uh, let's start with everybody's favorite cloud topic. Let's talk about AWS. Uh, this show will be going out. People will be listening to this right around end of June, early part of July. Transition date for uh, Andy Jassy to give up the throne at uh, AWS. Taking on the new guy, um, uh, Mr. S- uh, Mr. Solipsky is going to be taking over. Um, do you feel confident in this? Do you feel like, and I, and I want to frame it up this way, like, you know, everybody on one hand is like, you know, AWS is a, uh, it's a, a train that just keeps rolling along. It is, uh, you know, it's a flywheel that keeps going along. But we've seen lots and lots of scenarios in the past where, you know, something that seemed to be going great, changed leadership, maybe change different change of perspective. And all of a sudden, eh, maybe not as, you know, not as, not as uh, well-oiled machine as it was. What's your take on this big transition? Yeah, well, I think there's no bigger news in the world of cloud than this. And so I think first, let's look back at the uh, the Jassy legacy, as I like to say. So remember, as Jassy took on this role of AWS, he was, uh, you know, Bezos' first shadow. And I'm really coming out of that that assignment, it sounds like he had the choice of doing many things at uh, Amazon, and he chose AWS. Maybe the greatest career choice anyone has ever made. So he basically, you know, I think for all intents and purposes, we're going to consider him the founder of AWS, basically took it from zero to 50 billion. And I'm kind of saying that his legacy is really what I'm going to call perfecting the the primitives. So EC2, obviously the server side, storage S3, network, and I'm going to even throw databases in there, right? Ultimately, he figured out that's what the world needed. And I think, you know, it's funny if you read some of the the recent books and profiles written, it's like there was some discussion about him and some colleague at the time was like, wow, do you think this could be a billion dollar business? Yeah, well, it turns out it could be (laughs) quite a bit bigger than that. So 
I do think, let you know, Jassy taking the business, seeing that, getting it to fifty billion, fantastic, Hall of Fame, first ballot Hall of Famer business person. But we also have to look at it and saying, now that he steps away, or really, I should, I should say, steps up into the big job, right? Um, he may be exiting, you know, if you will, the perfect time because as we think about where AWS has been. And that I would say the bulk of the revenue is in these primitive services, right? I, I don't think they break that out. So who knows? But for the most part, I think you could say that's what it is. But now as we're going forward, and this is the, you know, uh, Adam, I'm not going to even try to say his, his, his last name, uh, the huge challenge for him to come in, step in to keep that flywheel running, but also to face kind of the, the pricing pressure as well as people looking, and I'm sure we'll get into it, into new ways to deploy things. So it's not going to be as easy to keep this AWS machine growing. So I think he has some pretty big challenges. And two, I mean, it's like replacing, you know, like a Coach K and Nick Saban, for those of you who are sports fans, it's like you're replacing one of the, the greatest business leaders of this time. So there's going to be constant comparisons. And then, of course, Jassy's going to be you know, meeting with you weekly about your progress. So you got to think anytime things aren't going well, he's going to know that business better than you. So huge shoes to fill, right? Uh, and the other thing I keep wondering too is like, obviously he's been at AWS, but that's five years ago and he went out to Tableau. So the big question I have is when Jassy brought him back, like why? Why did he feel like he had to go outside and bring someone back? Is there something that he wants to do differently? With such a strong leadership team at AWS, you know, the big question is like, why not promote within, right? There's a ton of leaders that have a ton of experience, but he chose to go outside. So I think underlying this is like, I definitely don't look ahead and say, oh, it's going to be smooth sailing. I think they're going to have some challenges. And I think Adam, huge shoes to fill, huge tasks to, to keep the machine rolling. Yeah, no, I, I think there's a, you know, I, I jotted down some notes and I'm, I'm worried about a couple of things. Uh, you know, so Bezos is leaving and Bezos isn't just like, hey, dude, uh, you know, you know, I, I got the gold watch, you know, I'm, I'm worth whatever, $200 billion. Uh, I'm just going to, to retire and do some stuff like he's leaving Jassy with with a lot of baggage, right? I mean, they're going to get hauled into stuff for antitrust. Uh, they've got, you know, all kinds of sort of stuff going on. They've got union issues that are potentially coming up. And Jassy isn't just like going on vacation. He's freaking leaving the earth. Like he's so like, I'm getting away from this. I'm leaving leaving the earth. So like, so Andy's like, Hey man, sure. You know, Jeff's like, dude, call me anytime you want, you know, here's my number. And then he's like, Whoa, hang on. I don't even get cell coverage here outside of the earth. So he's leaving (laughs) with a few things. The other thing that worries me about the new guy is so you look at Jassy's Twitter profile, and, and everybody knows Jassy is, uh, he's a pretty straightforward dude, like super into the numbers, comes out at reInvent every time, wears the exact same clothes. So he basically owns one outfit. He doesn't have to worry about that every single day. His Twitter profile literally just says, experience Buffalo Wings Eater, right? And it doesn't mean, I mean, it doesn't say anything even if like he uses a napkin. Is he like a lick his fingers guy? We have no idea. But the new guy, new guy lifts himself as wine guy, right? And I yeah. wonder, you know, wine guy... We, we all know wine guy, like is wine guy focused on being the lowest priced option, which is really the Amazon way, or is he going to be the guy who's going to spend three hours with you trying to explain, you know, a cab versus a, you know, something else. And you're like, dude, I just want an EC2 instance. I don't, I want a smaller EC2 instance. So yeah, I worry that there's a lot of distractions going on and, uh, you know, folks are, folks are focused on different things. So it'll be interesting. yeah, you're right. The other thing that's going to be interesting is like, our people are going to be wearing, you know, like people are going to be like, yeah, Andy would <laughs> or like Jeff, sure. Jeff, Jeff, I think Jeff, sure. wouldn't have, Jeff wouldn't have done it that way. Like there's but a lot of that going things. on, I think. 
I think for sure. But a couple of things we should look into. Like one, like how are we going to know what's really the newest? Like we should all, you know, it's always on my calendar. I don't know if they announced the exact dates, but November, I assume they're going to have AWS reInvent uh, in person this year. So one, we want to see, does Adam even try to come out and even try to like take on the three-hour presentation? My assumption is it's more like a Steve Jobs kind of transition where, you know, Tim Cook just comes out and introduces people that go into the details. I think Adam will go that route. So I'm one, I'm really interested to see that because that's going to tell us a lot about how he's changed the company. Now, if Adam comes out and does the three-hour monologue at the Jassy level, hey, all I mean, we will give him his props if he does that, but I don't think there's another man in the world that can do it. But now the, on the other side, like so why would maybe uh, you bring in someone from the outside? So AWS, really well-known, always la- launching new services. I don't even know how many is now, 130 services in the console, whatever. But as our uh, good friend Corey Quinn had put this t- <laughs> together, there are now 17 different ways to run a container. So if there was ever a time to say, hey, maybe we need someone to come in from the outside and start to kind of, if you will, clean up our UI, kind of streamline how we're thinking about things, instead of giving uh, the quote, everything store, giving every possible way to do it, maybe it is something, you know, it's been a while since I've used Tableau, but I remember it having a really nice user experience, kind of guiding you through it. So, so maybe, I mean, does, any, I mean, I know this is almost like ludicrous to say this about Amazon, but do they want somebody to come in from the outside and try to, if you will, put a little bit more structure around the user experiences and all these services and kind of rein in some of the, the, the services? So maybe that's what he's trying to do to come in. But of course, to your point, anytime he does anything, he's going to have not just second guessing, he'll have you know a couple hundred people inside Amazon, uh, probably first guessing every decision he makes. So tough job but really excited to see what happens there. All right, so Brandon is predicting that, uh, that the new guy's going to come in. He's going to be essentially the, the girlfriend or wife coming into the bachelor pad, getting <laughs> rid of uh, the Rocky posters, the Scarface posters off the wall. He's going to clean it up. He's going to make it nice looking. I get where you're going with this. I see where you're going with this. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see if he does it or not. All right, topic number two, hot take number two. Uh, VMware is in the news. Um, and and here's, my, my, here's my question. So, you know, VMware, uh, they get, uh, they go IPO years and years ago. Uh, actually, did they go IPO? Yeah, they went IPO. EMC buys them. And EMC basically like sort of lets them be by themselves, but they still are in charge of the company. Then at some point, Dell buys EMC. They take ownership of VMware. Michael Dell's in charge of VMware. Now Michael <laughs> Dell decides to spin them out, but he still owns them. And literally the day after they get told they're going to get spun out, all the rumors start that they're getting bought by somebody else. Like, has there ever been a more influential tech company that didn't have sort of full control of their own destiny. I mean, literally for decades. It, it, to me, that's the weird thing about VMware is like, could they have ever, could they have been much bigger than they were if they ever sort of just got to run their own ship? Well, I think the short answer to that is probably yes. Maybe ARM, maybe only ARM has gone through like some strange uh, corporate owners as, as maybe the only one that jumps to mind. But, you know, huge changing of the guard here, right? So, you know, Pat Gaslinger moves on, goes home to Intel. Hopefully he's going to build some great chips. But I thought it was interesting here that like they basically chose to rep- promote within. Uh, I can't say, you know, I don't know about you. It's, uh, and I'm, I'm not going to pronounce <laughs> the name incorrectly here, but really it was the former COO. So I yeah, felt Ra- like- Raga, really Raga, 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 I think just everyone just knows him as Raga. Okay, well, let's just say Raga because that's easy. So, Raga, Raga. Well, yep. um, so ultimately, right, I mean, I think this was sort of like a real a continuity thing. It's like, hey, we want to keep things going, you know, as they are. But I have to say, like, I'm I'm right there with the rest of the world here. It's it's not only, you know, to your earlier point, like, could VMware have been a lot bigger under its own ownership? I think almost undoubtedly, yes. But now that that ship has sailed, it's not going to happen. 
when they get spun out here, right? And of course, I'm not a stock analyst, but I like to play one on podcasts, right? There is no company that is more ripe for an acquisition, in my opinion, than VMware. And the reason that is, is that in my day job, I spend a lot of time talking to people about migrating to the cloud, migrating workloads, and almost universally, everybody has VMware. Everybody has a lot of workloads in VMware. So if you think of the gold mine that AWS wants those workloads, GCP wants those workloads, uh, Azure wants those workloads, you know, IBM, everyone, go on and on. Everybody wants a chance when that, that business comes up to renewal, like, hey, move your workloads over here. We can run it for you better. And of course, you know, VMware's got Tanzu and they're fighting it out and they, they want to keep all those workloads. But if you think about it and you're like, man, I want to make my cloud business. I want to supercharge my cloud business. Like VMware, if you will, is all of that raw material. I want to get those workloads and I want to get them running on my cloud. So, you know, out on the limb here, right, would be, you know, Google. I feel like Google, GCP, when I'm really, when I say Google here, that in Thomas Curion over there, like, I feel like they would be primed to make a huge move here to say, like, we want to go after that. And, you know, Korean wants to, like, you know, make that thing huge, compete with AWS, show Oracle that, you know, they treated him wrong. And that could he go in and pitch uh, in a VMware acquisition, which would be expensive. I mean, mind you, right, we're, I don't know, 60, 80 billion dollars. But Google's the kind of company that actually has that money. Um, is that the kind of thing that you would do to say, hey, I want to solidify GCP as, you know, the second uh, player in in cloud really attacking AWS. So I'm really, really interested to see what happens when they actually are public. And then, of course, you know, stock markets have been kind of just crazy with all this Bitcoin and AMC and all this other stuff. And I have no idea what's going to happen. But if there's a pullback, like if valuations go down at all, I feel like there's just a team of investment bankers with a VMware model ready to go who are going to be like, if this goes below a certain price, we've got four or five buyers from it. So I think the speculation around VMware being acquired has only just begun. I think we're going to see a year of it, if not more. And I do think ultimately someone's going to buy them, but we'll, you know, time will tell. Yeah. Can you, can you imagine like, so you imagine you're uh, the, the GCP curry on, cause I can never remember if it's Thomas or the other one. I'm pretty sure it's Thomas curry on. So you go into uh, your boss's office and you go, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to need like $80 billion uh, and I'm going to basically buy you a funnel. And the guy goes, how much How much, uh, How much? much you doing in revenue these days? And you're like, uh, like 10, 10 billion. Uh, and how, where's all, where are all those workloads? Is this new stuff that's going to come off of Android or uh, whatever? No, no. Are these uh, new search results? No, this is, uh, this is, you know, uh, this is all on-prem stuff that we're going to bring into the cloud. And they're like, $80 billion. I mean, people would be writing stories for months and months about how, you know, this blows away the last biggest, you know, software acquisition or technology. I mean, it would, it would sort of dwarf IBM buying VMware or uh, Salesforce buying Slack or any of those sort of things. $80 billion for, I guess, you know, you would basically just go like, I am buying all of legacy IT and we have one, I mean, that would basically say, hey, GCP, you now have one task in life, which is, you you know the migration team is now staffed with five thousand people, and your whole job is all day long. I need I need ten thousand VMs a day sucked into GCP. Like that would that would become their world, which would be pretty darn interesting. I mean, like that would be the ultimate test of you know if you went back four or five years and talked to anybody at Google, they were like, we are we are a cloud company, we are a public cloud company, we are the cloud, we define the cloud. And their whole business, I mean, like, and people were always like, you can't redefine their engineering culture. It is what defines them. I mean, if he could go in and pull that off, like he, I mean, he would be defining what GCP is for, you know, a decade to come. 
Yeah, well, a couple of things. One, let me go back to so I don't get you in trouble, Brian. Remember, uh, IBM bought Red Hat, not VMware. So make sure everybody oh, knows they that know VMware. They, they may have they may have thought about it. I mean, they probably, <laughs> they probably thought about it, but not yet at least. So let me say that not yet at least. Uh, but I think you know you're making the case, right? I think at the end, right? You're Thomas Curry on just what you said. It's like you can't. You're not going to change the culture. And if I'm sitting with the the I assume the board of directors of Google, it's my presentation. I'm saying, hey. To, in order for us to be the number one vendor here in the cloud, right? The way that we're going to do it is we need to go buy a company that's been doing enterprise software from forever. And that's how we're going to inject some of this culture, this enterprise sales culture that we need to ultimately win in this business inside this company. And I think that's what he would say. And I would, I think it's, I think it would be incredible to your point when you say like the $10 billion, I'm like, oh, that would be a tough presentation. And I'd still go in there and do it. And, and the reason I'd be, I would tell someone is like, these workloads, it's almost like you have to amortize them over the next 20 years. Like when you move the workload, what, you know, people don't want to migrate these workloads over and over. So if you are able, it's almost like real estate. If you're able to, if you will, uh, buy the big apartment building, right? Like you got to think like, I'm going to, that's going to pay off over 20 or 30 years. That's how many workloads I'm going to be getting. And that GCP revenue will slowly grow. And that, you know, Rundle, as they like to say, you know, our recurring revenue is going to go up substantially. So I think that's, it's, it's sort of a challenge back to Google. Like if you're really serious, right? Yeah. This is a big bait, big bet, but this is how you get there. Otherwise, trench warfare for a long time ahead. You can still build a good business, but not as easy as just going out and getting the number one, if you will, workload provider uh, in the industry today. Yeah. It would be a big deal. It, it would be a very big thing. Um, hey, we broke it on the Cloudcast. We want one full credit. When, right. when, when right. it happens, we're going to point to this episode. That's right. That's right. Brandon. Brandon's looking for a little bit of uh, spreadsheet uh, spreadsheet <laughs> credibility there. That's All right. right. All right. McLaughlin Group, third topic. Um, I, so I, I've been thinking about this whole, like, you know, everybody talks about developers, 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 software seed in the world. Like, is there is there a more hyped market segment that is more fragmented? Like, like what what is a developer today? So if you're somebody who's like, hey, I'm going to build an awesome developer tool, like there is no generic developer. There's an iOS developer. There's a Java developer. There's an enterprise Java developer. There's a data scientist. There's Jamstack. There's serverless. Like, isn't this the, like, I'm, I'm trying to think of another situation in which everybody's like, you have to go after developers. You have to win the hearts and minds of developers. And that space is so unbelievably fragmented. If you ever ask them, be like, well, which, which kind of developer they're like, oh, uh, and then once you do fragment it, you know, you get down to the fragment, you're like, Oh well, is this very big? Because oh, by the way, those people don't necessarily spend a lot of money on stuff. Like to me, that it's this weird thing we have in our industry, and I can't totally wrap my head around uh, how to how to think about it. Yeah, well, I think you know you kind of go. What another way to think about that problem is like what galvanizes a large development community together, where they're all going to decide that that this is the way that we want to build the new new thing. And I think you know, in my like you know either long or short career, depending on how you want to measure it. It's like, I always go back to, you know, whatever that late nineties, early 2000, where Java came out, you know, we kind of make fun of right runs run anywhere, but people forget that that really galvanized like a whole group of developers around like, we want to start building on top of what this is in the Java virtual machine. We like this layer of abstraction. Uh, we like the fact that it, Java has more stuff built in and then app servers came along. So there was a period where, not everyone did that, of course, but a lot of enterprise software, certainly a lot of the people listening to this probably have interacted, maybe even built Java earlier in their careers. And so as we kind of go forward here, 
And I think this is like, if you've covered this on the show quite a bit around, you know, cloud promise to be all of this, like scale to zero, pay for what you want to use. But as what we've kind of talked about with AWS, it's really more about all the primitives are there, but there isn't any one way to develop. And there isn't even, I would almost argue, there's not even a popular way to develop. It's just like, do anything that you want. And I think this is where we're seeing the rise of serverless. And certainly we've all made fun of serverless, me included, like, oh, there's servers behind it. But I do think it's a clear statement by, you know, kind of the technology community is like, we really want something above these primitives, right? We want something that we can use. And I can, if you come down to it, like, I just want to write my application logic and I want to deploy it very easy. And this is why I think we'll go, I don't know if Heroku was the first, you know, I mean, there's probably just like Ruby on Rails and there's lots of other things around that. But, you know, that original notion of like, hey, do it this way. Build it this way, and you can kind of forget about all of this below. Now, Heroku, I think, suffered because people were just like, ah, that's too constraining. That's not what I want. You didn't get it quite right. But I think the industry, and because of the popularity of a serverless, and I know you've had some of the people on the show that have gone over that in depth, but it's really a statement of like, we want this next next thing. And I think so. We, we saw you know, containers now can be deployed in a serverless fashion. We're seeing serverless databases. So I would say, like, you know, to your original question, it's like, you know, no one has unlocked that value of like, it's flexible enough that I can use any programming language I want, but it's simple enough that I'm just, if you will, just doing my application logic and I'm not spending all this time in YAML files and Docker files and all this confusing stuff. So I think the next two to three years, and I know this is part of your day job, right, is really like, can you, can someone unlock, here's how you write an application, here's how you package it. It's a really opinionated way to do it, but everyone really sees the value in doing it that way. And then like Java, it gets super popular in the next five or 10 years is everyone building those types of apps. So I think it's, I mean, I don't know who's going to do it, you know, but the next two or three years, I think you're going to see a big fight to define that. Yeah. I I think there's going to be someone who's going to come along and go, okay, what are, what are all the, like you said, sort of like you said, what are all the primitives of stuff that people want? And it's going to boil down to something like this. It's going to be like, I, I want to write in whatever language I want on my laptop. So like VS code or whatever it is. And I want to write in Java or I want to write in Go or whatever. I want to, I want to do the thing on my laptop. I want to be able to kind of simulate something on my laptop. Cool. I want to push like one button or do one get push. I want it to go to the cloud. I don't want to know anything about how it got to the cloud. I just want to like basically say like load balanced, public facing, not public facing. And I want to be able to, um, I, I want to pay for it is if I'm really upset that a cup of coffee is like four bucks and I don't have four bucks. So I really only want to pay maybe like 30 cents for an app and maybe I'll go up to like paying a few more bucks. So it's sort of the, you know, the serverless kind of uh, pricing model. And then whenever I want to be able to plug in other stuff outside of my application, I want it to be almost as simple as the low code things. So like, I don't want to have to be like, all right, what's that API that's over there? And like, how do I manipulate it? I don't want to read the docs. I just want to be able to like, pull up a screen, it's got some buttons, I get a token, I dump that in my thing. Like, and we sort of have bits and pieces of that, like we have fragments of it here and there, but like, I feel like that's the thing that's gonna become what developers would like to have. And you're right, we're probably two or three years away from somebody kind of piecing it together. Um, but yeah, that, that does make sense. It's like the, the, the constructs are there and we've just never kind of gotten it all right because at some point, some developers like, nope, too opinionated. Up, oh, nope, not enough features yeah. there. Oh, the you're one. It's a fickle audience. Yes. Yeah, the exactly. docs suck. Or somebody comes along and says, hey, I have a new language. You have to learn this. And they're like, oh, man, I got to get that on my resume. So, uh, okay, Rust, you're out. And uh, whatever's new, you're <laughs> in. Me. 
No, I totally agree. And I think this is why you see, we were making fun of it before, right? That's why, why do they have 17 different ways to deploy a container in ADFS? Because they're trying to figure it out, right? That's yeah. like, there's different attempts. And then, you know, I'm sure people at Google, like they should use Google App Engine. It's like, well, it's good, but some people don't like it to your point. Like they don't support the runtime. And then Haruko's like, we invented this. Why don't you just do what we want? It's like, well, sorry, we've moved on. So, I mean, there's, that's, that's the, you, you really outlined it perfectly. That's what people are working on. And uh, if I knew what it was, I would build it myself. But if not, I'm just going to talk about it for the next two or three years. Yeah. All right. Let's, let's jump off the, the technology bandwagon. Let's talk a little bit about, about people. Um, when the pandemic started, uh, we all had to adapt to doing um, you know, meetings, Zoom, uh, getting the, the bulk of those things. And then all of a sudden, there was this you know, renaissance that like, hey, the, the missing thing is, is audio. We're all going to move to Clubhouse. We're going to do, we're going to do meetups on Clubhouse. We're going to do all that stuff. Clubhouse seems to have died off. Um, people, you know, they're, they're over that thing. It wasn't, you couldn't record them. You couldn't do the thing. Like, this is what I wonder is, do you have any pangs? So like, I would like to travel again. I enjoy going to different places and experiencing, you know, things outside of this office. But like, do you at this point, do you have any interest whatsoever in, in ever going to events again? Like, I mean, there's a point of me that's like, yes, I'd like to see people, but like, I, I feel like technology has gone on. I could care less about the announcements. I could care less about the events. I kind of feel like the events might be dead because we haven't figured out a way to replicate them. And people are just kind of like, yeah, and, and events just seem like bad ideas. They're a waste of time. They're a waste of space. Like, do you think they come back once we get back to normal? I think, you know, to a large extent, I, I do think they'll come back. Um, I do think what you're highlighting is and what I don't, what I hope stays though, is I've actually enjoyed like these pretty highly produced videos that you can kind of watch on demand yeah. um, because it's really easy to keep up with. And of course you can, you know, kind of just do it when you want. And I hope that stays with it. I think what people yearn for and um, if kind of to your point about an event, if we could just kind of admit the reason we go to an event is to like see people we haven't seen for a while, you know, the quote unquote hallway track and to also interact around specific questions that, you know, you yourself have. So like having some type of interaction with a vendor or with an analyst where you can just talk about yourself. So it's not a broadcast medium. It's really one-to-one or just like a few of us together. So I, I think, you know, what I hope will happen is that the events can get shorter, right? So you don't need to be there for five days and have to like be wandering around some mindless trade show floor. And, and maybe you do have still that like galvanizing keynote, but like the rest of it doesn't need to be, if you will, all these broadcast sessions and like hundreds and thousands of sessions. Like why can't we go and like everyone, if you will, start to organize meetings and one-on-one -on -one interactions or developers can get like some specific time with engineering groups that they're working with to get questions answered. So like we kind of go back to like the, the purpose of the event is not broadcast, it's one-to-one -one or much smaller interactions. So birds of a feather sessions, things like that. And I would like to see them like, you know, be like two and a half days, right? Where it's like, hey, you have the big keynote, then you've got your, your customer meetings or your interactions, and then, you know, everyone can get out of there on that third day and go home. But yeah, the day of like a five-day event um, and a big trade show floor and, you know, 300 sessions, you know, frankly, I, I don't want to see that come back at all either. Yeah. No, I feel like the perfect event, if I had to, you know, like in today's world, the perfect event would be like uh, the keynote would be, um, you know, in the equivalent of like a football stadium, like the like the Dallas Cowboys stadium has the gigantic screen. So you can fit right. as many people in. It could be 10,000. It could be whatever. You're watching this big screen it could be highly produced. It doesn't have to be live. So, you know, the next guy who comes after Andy Jassy doesn't have to stand for three hours. They could break it up. Right. Like <laughs> right. whatever. But then the next part of it is you go, okay, well, we've got all these movie theaters that are completely empty. No one's going to see movie theaters. 
And people are like, well, I'd like to go to these sessions, but they always run out of seats or whatever it is. So you're like, okay, you know, we'll host, like, we'll find a place that's like football stadium next to a bunch of movie theaters that you could go to those things. You're never going to run out of seats. You can go to all the best sessions. They all get recorded. So if you miss them and then you realize there's only two other parts of, of events, right? There's, so there's keynote, there's, if you want to go to the technology thing. So maybe you're in that stage of your career. The third part is I'm there looking for a new job or I'm job hunting or whatever. So you just say, Hey, look, this is a, this is a job thing. And you just have everybody kind of going full bore on that. And the last piece is, you know, salespeople trying to sell stuff. And so, you know, in the parking lots, you just pull up like two dozen food trucks. So nobody has to do that whole thing where you're trying to be like, all right, can I get an Uber to wherever? Where's everybody going? Nope. It's all in one place. And then the sales guys can do their own thing because they're going to go golfing or whatever. But I think if you could put all those things within like a one mile radius, and like you said, it's like in two days, that becomes like the perfect trade show. And then I, like it. I think you're just described like a, like a sporting event tailgate. I'm all in. It's yeah. like we go to the game and then we break out and we go see everyone we want. And I think the last one I'll throw in there is, uh, you know, with everyone working virtually, and I think mo- a lot of people will continue to work work virtually, at least at some companies. I also think like, hey, just have the event to bring together the rest of the team, like a team that doesn't see each other very much. So like once a year, twice a year, it's like, yeah, we all go to this event and do some team building. I think that's another, you know, another thing we can just like throw into the event as well. So maybe that's part of the the tailgate you just described. It's like, let's just get to know each other. I want to see you in person for a while instead of on these stupid Zoom meetings I'm always on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Last big topic, and then we're going to do a little bit of lightning round stuff to, to finish off. And this one's going to run a little longer because, again, we said this show's going to drop when people are yeah, We had hot dates. Well, we had hot dates to get out today. That's right. We're going to get that out. All right. So last thing, uh, you, you like to talk about open source stuff. Uh, we've seen all this new open source licensing stuff seem to happen. And, and on one hand, uh, you know, so like the Mongos and the Confluence and the who else has you know, changed all their licensing to sort of compete with the cloud providers. On one hand, it was like the open source community is like, you're doomed. You can't compete. You can't do this. And then quarter after quarter, these guys, you know, they make their number. Mongo just made their number. Um, like, do, do you feel like this stuff is all just sort of open source theater and it doesn't really mean too much? Or like, do you feel like these license changes are actually giving them any sort of, of a moat or any sort of buffer? Or like, I mean, like, I, I feel like if I'm Mongo or I'm looking at Mongo, if I'm a customer, I'm like, well, I was either going to use Mongo or I'm not. And if, if you're Mongo and you're like, well, AWS already has a Mongo thing, like, did anything really change in here or is it just too early? Or like, is there some other next shoe to drop in the open source licensing world? Well, I mean, I, on this one, I think for sure, it's like, I, I like to say, if you're talking about licensing, you're losing, right? So like, no, if licensing, it, license changes has nothing to do with the earnings of a company going forward. Like yeah. it is a very popular topic amongst uh, inside a company. And it's always some version of the sales team is upset about not making the numbers. And they feel like because there's an open source competitor, that that is what's preventing them from doing it. And then that generates the message to the executives, maybe the board of directors, all these people start to spin up and they just start creating fiction in their mind. Like, you know, if we change the licensing model to this, then people will read all the licensing and then they'll come back to us because they'll, they'll understand they can't do it. And it's like, no, consumers don't do any of that. They're just like, I, just what you said. It's like, I have this database problem. Who can solve it for me the best? And if I need to pay money for it because I see value in it, I will. And if I can get it for free because I can do it myself or I can get value um, through the open source alone, then I'll do it that way. And that's always how it is. So it's just a distraction. We like to talk about it all, all the time, certainly on Software Defined Talk. You know, it's an insider's kind of thing. But it is. It's just a loser's game. If you're changing your licensing, it will have no impact on your company. In fact, it'll probably have a negative impact because you'll waste your time doing this. So to your 
core point, all these open source companies face the same kind of thing. Like if you can't clearly ex- explain why you add value beyond the open source product, you're losing, right? And then you're, you're going to lose, but there are plenty of reasons. And you certainly, you could go into this even more detail about why people will still choose to pay you, even if there are other solutions or free solutions in the market. So some of them will certainly uh, be successful. Some of them, I think we're going to consider successful, like Cloudera just got, you know, is going to go private equity. So, so that's a, an example of like, it's not that people don't want any of that. It's just that it isn't going to be a $50 billion business, right? The multiple right. there isn't going to be there. But, you know, people are still going to use Hadoop. People are still going to go to Cloudera. It just may be, oh, God forbid, a 3 or $4 billion company, or probably they buy it for 3 or $4 billion now and they spin it out in five years for 6 or $8 billion. So that's still a very useful product, very profitable. It just means you're not going to be the next VMware or the next Red Hat or whatever. So a lot of it is just investor relations, understanding what the valuations are. And then, of course, some open source projects will ultimately just you know go away because it gets so simple to deploy them. And I think anyone taking out, um, going out in the IPO market, I think you mentioned Confluent, right? They're, they're next up. It's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen. Looking ahead, you're like, ooh, I don't know Confluent. Like, I don't know if you have enough, you know, to your point, to, to justify a $50 billion valuation if that's your goal. Doesn't mean you can't be a really profitable business. So, it may be time for you to reset your expectations. But to be fair about it, maybe if I was them and I was like, well, I could be super rich, I could be rich or super rich. I was like, why not try to be super rich? And if it doesn't work out, they'll just be private equity. And that will still be a really good outcome for a lot of people. Yeah. I, I do feel like, you know, like that little wave that happened, I feel like there was like some lobbying firm that was like, hey, let's get the lawyers to put some stuff out there. We need to, because it's like, Open source competing against Amazon is baked into the system. Every VC knows it. I've seen the VCs joking about it. I've talked to VCs about it. Uh, every company who's in software or even if they're in cloud, like, I mean, the joke about like which company is Amazon going to, you know, put out a business in the next reinvent, like that's been a joke for, you know, almost 10 years now. Like yep. it's baked into the system. There is no more reason for you to like change it. It's not like, I mean, it'd be one thing if you were like, well, we're really worried about this emerging uh, threat from, uh, you know, Eastern Europe in which there could be 60 competitors. You're like, no, there's, there's three. In fact, there's, you know, there's two or three, you know who they are. You don't even need to write their name down on it. I don't think it really adds a whole, like you said. Yeah. It, yeah. So yeah, I think well, this was just, a, this was just a lawyer trying to justify yeah, you know, well, for being in the boardroom. Absolutely. And to your point, I think the high point of this craziness is actually ironically not an open source company, Snowflake. And I will not recreate a long rant on this because I already had that. And, and Brian, you had a whole episode. You were very diplomatic. Very. I will, I'll just say you. Plenty of people can listen to the opinions about Snowflake because there's a lot of them, and I have one myself. But I'll just say the fact that Snowflake went out and wrote this like you know long article about why they chose not to be open source, right, and why that isn't a problem was just the height of craziness, right? Is yeah. this like to build software? Like you have to somehow justify why you're not open source and explain to people why that is. That was the ultimate of like a boardroom of people like, oh, we got to put out some long article so people understand it. Nobody cares. No one cares. And in that article, I'll just leave it at this, I think was really unnecessary. But if you're interested, go back and listen to Software Defined Talk. And there's probably like me saying that for 15 minutes about uh, <laughs> of other things about that. But hot, we'll move on from that topic. Hot take season was started early. All right. So mm-hmm. lightning round, got three questions. We're going to give you maybe 30 seconds, 45 right. seconds on each one of those. All right. First one, um, everything these days... Uh, at least in some parts of, of the industry is tied to gambling now, whether it's tied to like, you know, TV and media or sports or whatever, how, or do we get gambling into the tech industry? Like, should we be able to bet on, you know, the next ransomware target? Should we be able to bet on the next acquisition? Should we be able, you know, to be able to bet on which company now says their observability? Do we need gambling in tech? 
I like it. I, I I think it would be super fun to do it. I feel like we need to enlist Matt Levine on uh, from Bloomberg. On he would probably come up with some types of options contracts that we can do. So I think yeah, we should definitely do it. We probably need um, some kind of like weird uh, cryptocurrency that's just tied to uh, you buy like uh, if you will a token. Uh, and it represents some kind of bet in uh, a tech company. I like it. I think that's the way we would do it. And everyone would argue about if cryptocurrencies are good or bad. So that would be my answer to that one. All right. Lightning question number two. How disappointed are you that uh, Dropbox, or not Dropbox, Zoom, for its its massive, massive valuation during the pandemic, bought no companies, bought zero, took advantage of nothing? I'm not giving up. I still think the Zoom Discord needs to happen. Like that is the natural thing. Discord is a perfect uh, thing that slide in to provide kind of that Slack-like functionality. I haven't given up on it. I believe they're still listening. The Zoom uh, investment team over there, Investor Relations, uh, M&A team, they need to get on it. They need to buy Discord. That will save them. If they don't do anything, I'm, I'm just a tragedy. It's a tragedy. They will never uh, get another chance like this to do in the rest of their corporate lives. All right. Last question. Uh, does it make complete tech karma sense that the only two uses of blockchain after years and years of it changing the world and supply chains and you know tracking coffee beans is cryptocurrencies and NFT? Is that sort of the ultimate tech uh, VC venture capital Silicon Valley bubble uh, karma? Yeah, I think that, I think it is. I think the NFTs is the height of just total absolute craziness. And I think that is just like at, a, at some point, you know, <laughs> it's one of those things where we would say, uh, right outcome, uh, wrong strategy. It's like all these VCs have luckily made tremendous money on Bitcoin, but for none of the reasons they originally outlined. And at this point, you know, who knows how long it can go on. But I do think when some of the people from A16Z are advocating for NFTs, I don't think those takes are going to age well. I think they're going to really look back and be like, maybe we were ahead of our skis on that one. Yep. All right, Brandon Wichert, thank you so much for the hot takes. I appreciate the energy for, for going almost 37 minutes now. Last thing, plug the show. Where can people find you? Where can people listen to the show? That's right. If you want more of this, go to softwaredefinedtalk.com. There you can sign up with all your favorite uh, podcast players or probably right now in the one you're listening to, just search for Software Defined Talk and subscribe. We'd love to have you. Good stuff, man. As always, great to have you on. Uh, we think we've been doing this about once every six months, but uh, great to have you on. Appreciate the hot takes. I can take my asbestos off now. I think we're good to go. So folks, uh, hope you have a good uh, you know, sort of June and July as you listen to this show. As always, thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for helping us grow the show. Thanks for giving us feedback on all your favorite podcast players. And we will talk to you next week. Thank you for listening to The Cloudcast. Please visit thecloudcast.net to find more shows, show notes, videos, and everything social media. 